0: Welcome back to the Build Podcast. I'm Blake Bartlett, a partner here at OpenView. If you've been following along this season, you know that we're here to figure out the new customer journey and what that means for SaaS. Today, we hear from Kip Bodner, CMO at HubSpot. It goes without saying that HubSpot is a truly awesome software company that started with a marketing application and has since become a full platform company for all things go to market and even better, HubSpot is all-in on product-led growth. In today's episode, we unpack how a self-service journey fundamentally changes B2B marketing, Kip's view that anyone, including C-level executives, can introduce a new self-serve tool to a team, and HubSpot's secret to collaboration between marketing and growth. All that and more on this episode of Build, so let's dive in with Kip Bodner.
1: Well, Kip, thanks so much for uh, joining us here on the Build podcast. It's great to have you. Wonderful
2: to be here, Blake. Thanks for having me.
1: So we'll jump straight into it. And um, obviously this is a favorite topic for us, but we're talking a lot about product-led growth and, and that's kind of been our, our drumbeat for a while here. What does product-led growth mean to you?
2: I think the challenge with product-led growth is it means a lot of things to a lot of people, as I know you all have covered on the show, but to me, it means it's, it's a combination of how you go to market with a product, freemium, free trial, self-service experience, as well as an organizational rigor around the inner intersection of marketing and product to actually focus on the growth from that kind of self-service interaction. And I think when you put those two things together, you create a new level of product-led growth. And obviously, the reason people love product-led growth is it's nonlinear, linear. It's not dependent on sales rep, headcount. All of those things give you the ability to grow in a more exponential way.
1: And why do you think it's kind of having a moment right now? Or why do you think self-service has been a trend um, that's been increasing over the last uh, you know handful of years? And it seems to be pretty popular for enterprise software companies today.
2: I think the best companies and the most successful companies adapt to the way people shop and buy and interact, right? and you've seen just the consumerization of technology, and quite frankly, I think especially pre-COVID-19, I think the world was more crazed and busier than ever before, and people just didn't want to talk to a sales rep, they didn't want to have to wait five days to figure out what the price of something was, they wanted to get started with a value right away. They wanted to try before they buy. They, they wanted a different experience because they're used to that with Netflix and Shopify, Amazon, the consumer experiences that they have. And I think that's forced the B2B world and the broader software community to, to adapt to those behaviors.
1: Yeah, I'd say I also see it that there's kind of a defensive element to it where you could see one, one of two things happening. On the one hand, um, you could be trying to call in as a salesperson. To target an account, maybe you've been building a relationship the, with them for a while. And finally, it's come to that time where they're ready to give you some budget. But uh oh, guess what? There's already 20 users of your competitor's product inside the four walls of that company. And then they end up winning uh, the deal because there's already buy in internally. Uh, even though you had a great relationship with that executive, you know, somebody beat you to the punch by sort of coming in the side window, so to speak, or the back door. Or you could say, like, I already got that account and then I churned the account because you know all the users adopted this new thing that was kind of from my competitors. You know, it's it's at least kind of a, a hunch that I have, but do you think that there's kind of something to, to that side of things as well, which is people kind of it's fool me once uh, sort of deal?
2: Yeah, I mean look, we used to live in a relationship-based economy, now we live in a value-based economy. Whoever's gonna provide the most value to the to the person they're trying to connect with is gonna win. And used to be the value was the form of A good sales rep who held all the power and then subsequently became a sales rep who could maybe like flick on a trial of that product for them. But you just said it. It's if you are going to have an effective go-to-market today, unless you serve a very, very small number of companies in the world or people in the world, you have to enable them to adopt that product seamlessly. And you've seen that a lot with kind of the decentralization of IT. IT used to be a blocker to stop all that. From happening and now it is not because everything's so decentralized and i think it's just paved the way for product-led growth to to take over
1: and how do you think this rise of product-led growth or you know specifically we focus on the rise of self-service if somebody you know isn't self-service today but wants to become self-service tomorrow how does that change or how should that change how they think about you know their, their buyer persona and who they historically targeted is it the same person or does that
2: evolve i think it's the same person it, it's when you move to product led growth, I think you're changing your business and how you work much, much, much more than you're changing who you target and who you go after, right? I think fundamentally, if you are trying to go into that, you have to reorganize how you develop product, how you price and package product. You know, there are a lot of companies out there just don't even have transparent pricing and packaging, right? You can't even get started down the product led growth avenue if you don't have that. And so I think those are the bigger things that have to change, much more so than the audience and how you target them.
1: I guess as a follow-up question to that, you know, yeah. just paint a hypothetical scenario, say I'm a a, mar- a marketing tech company, um, you know, and I've built historically for the CMO. So mm-hmm. for somebody sitting in your seat, I've kind of built the product with all the executive dashboards and it's kind of oriented towards, you know, something that you care about in terms of the ROI that you're focused on or, or whatever's important for an organization of your size and a CMO running that organization. And then I say, all right, well, I want to do self-service now. So mm-hmm. I could put the self-service signup flow. I could do the, you know, one-click authentication with Google or Slack or whatever it is, mm-hmm. but my perspective is that maybe C-level executives don't have time for that and so, you know, might not actually be inclined to self-service. What do
2: they have time for then? If they don't have time for that. What do they have time for? I mean, the last thing I do ever, ever want to do is talk to a salesperson That is path of last resort for me and it's not because sales aren't great it's because like there's a meeting set up there's a back and forth there's a bunch of prep material that i'm going to be expected to review there's going to be i know i'm going to get qualified i know i'm going to get a demo like it's just a bunch of hoops to drive through and before i dive through those hoops i don't really like at least to know that this thing is good and valuable and real yeah so I think it works for i think it works for any level of the organization i think One of the core mistakes of product-led growth is people tie it too closely to the models like dropbox and evernote and a lot of the early pioneers in that space adopted which i just don't think are representative of where the market's grown and matured to today yep do you see kind of c-level oriented products that take this
1: path and that end up in the the hands of a cmo or or a cfo or something like that through self-service because that could obviously apply to individual tools if i You know, if I want to get Calendly and I'm a CMO, that gives me just as much value as if I'm an individual contributor. But, you know, if I'm thinking about more of an executive oriented product for my marketing organization.
2: I I think products that are only focused on the executive level aren't good products is I think part of my. I think you just have a far too narrow product focus and business model to actually be successful. I think everybody needs to do similar things in every department. What I need to do as a marketing leader is not that dissimilar from what anybody else on my team needs to do. I just need to have different views, different access, different ways to leverage that. I mean, at the same time, I adopt free software all the time. You know, we use Loom across my team for record video. It's like hundreds of us use Loom. And it's not like I've never talked. I've emailed with the founder for like two minutes. Like, that's it. And I think that is the way that people moving forward are going to continue to shop and buy and adopt.
1: Got it. So do you you effectively see it as more democratized in the sense that you personally could be the person at HubSpot who discovers and finds Loom and brings it into the organization or a younger social media manager who's maybe 25, like could also be the person who finds Loom and brings it into the organization. But it actually doesn't matter. Anybody can find it and start spreading it. And everybody kind of behaves similarly when they find a tool that they find to be valuable
2: that's my hypothesis and uh, the experience that I've seen. I think anybody who is trying to argue against that just doesn't have an effective business model and product market fit is my firm belief.
1: So the mindset that you know a CMO, or I keep using that because you are a CMO, but t- sure. say a CFO, CFO is too busy, is in too many meetings, is too concerned about the budget and the board meeting that's coming up to self-service You know, for Loom. And they already got an EA, so they don't need Calendly. And they hate Slack because, you know, they've been using Outlook for three decades or that kind of a deal. So that's perhaps a wrong way to think about it because at the end of the day, you find something that's valuable to you, you're going to adopt it and you always have time to sort of solve your own pain.
2: Yeah, I think there's flaws abound in, in that kind of logic, right? Kate, our CFO, she's in the thick of it for a very successful publicly traded company. I would gather a guess that there is something that she has gone and looking for, probably multiple things she's gone and looking for, and I think she would very happily go and adopt that. I think anybody, we're all just trying to solve the problems the best we can, the fastest way we can.
1: Now, how does this shift to self-serve and the rise of product-led growth, how does it change how SaaS companies should think about marketing?
2: I think it is a game changer for how you have to think about marketing, right? Because once you have a product-led growth model, you have one of the two best marketing levers in the world right there are two only really two things that matter in marketing free and scarce right if you're in terms of offering something and if you have product like growth, assuming you have some type of free offering free trial free something, you have free at your disposal and so I think if you're thinking about marketing, the biggest successes you've seen in product like growth is because people have taken that free value they have in that product and then they've extended it really broadly to drive real growth I think Kudos to the folks at Canva. I think they've probably done this better than anybody. Hundreds of thousands of people signing up to that product every day based on like a really rich, localized SEO strategy that just fundamentally wouldn't be possible without a free product offering product-led growth and all the work that they're doing.
1: So what are some of
2: the specific changes that, that
1: happened? What was tried and true in the last five to 10 years that sort of doesn't really work now because of self-serve or product-led growth? Yes.
2: Yeah. If you think about before software, you had marketing that was selling a dream or a promise, largely brand marketing. And then you moved into kind of field marketing events, that, that type of world. And then software and inbound marketing came along and we offer the promise of content and we came much closer to the value proposition of the product, but we're still disconnected. So had to go from like learning about something, taking action on something and that you were trying to take an action on something that was, you had to talk to a rep about, like there was, there was like a real process around that and product led growth is kind of the last stage of that evolution where it's like, okay, great. Now we have something we can be much more direct in our offering of. We can get people to value really quickly and we can wrap that value with education, with brand with experience, whatever marketing strategy you think is the best fit for the product and the market you're offering, you can do that now. Instead of trying to like shoehorn, oh, our product's kind of hard to use and our sales team only talks to these people, but I'm still going to do this big broad brand marketing push. It's just, it's not going to fly today. You have to just be much more thoughtful, much more analytical, much more pragmatic about the marketing work we're going to do today.
1: Yeah. Now, I've heard some people have the perspective that, you know, marketing today, because of the rise of product-led growth and self-serve, B2B marketing today can look more like consumer marketing than it has historically. And so, you know, there's lessons to be learned from Spotify or from Netflix perhaps more so than there are lessons to be learned from NetSuite and Salesforce and Marketo, which was, you know, kind of fundamentally built in a different era. And so, you should be thinking about Tactics and a playbook, and then probably also a team that might have more consumer DNA and thinks about those individual end users rather than the sort of top down executive buyer journey and, and kind of how do they make a considered purchase over time. Do you think there's any sort of water in that? Or uh, what, water department the here's the secret
2: of product led growth. This is what happens. Every <laughs> company takes a freemium product to market. If they are successful, they have product market fit, they find cost effective distribution, they get adoption. And they get customers. And then the next thing they want to do is raise the ASP of those customers, because that's their next lever for growth, which means that they almost all inevitably end up moving up market. When they move up market, they need all that stuff you talked about the PR, the decision maker, thought leadership that comes involved in a more up market, more enterprise buying process. What happens is you just come to that way, way later. Instead of leading with that, you're leading with digital distribution. Free product, and you get to the rest of marketing much later in your journey as you have a small sales team. And you might have a huge customer base and a real material customer base revenue that you're trying to basically balance the other side out with really high ACV deals sold through a sales team. And there's different marketing for those two go to market motions. And you kind of have to have a team that can do both. But the people you hire now when you're earlier stage in a business, you're right. They're much more technical. They're much more growth mindset. They're much more online distribution mindset than they are perception and value proposition mindset focused.
1: Now, one question that I hear a lot is people trying to wrap their minds around the idea of building a growth team. And how is a growth team different than a marketing team if it's kind of fundamentally about top of funnel or is it not about top of funnel and- you know, what, what is a growth team and, and where does it sit in the org and, and walk us through that, unpack that.
2: There's not one consistent answer that I found. If you found a consistent answer, let me know. I think it comes down to kind of what you just talked about, right? What is it that that team is focused on? And a lot of businesses, that is a product team function that focuses on largely kind of conversion rate optimization and monetization and onboarding, right? Do they, they take from the point of sign up? through them becoming a customer. Other companies, it's like, oh, no, our growth team focuses on virality and top of the funnel distribution. And I think depending on how you work and what the goal of that team is, like it helps our growth team lives in the product organization, but it is very much sign up to like customer focused. It is not broad distribution focused. We at marketing partner with them to do the broad distribution. We say, oh, if we have this feature in free, we can do this program, we can get this distribution. And we work together to basically figure out what the monetization looks like there. I don't care where your growth team lives. If you're doing product-led growth, the only way it's going to be successful is if you have the right alignment between your marketing team and your product
1: team. So it sounds like it's earlier in the buyer's journey. It could be top of funnel if you have a viral loop or something yeah. like that, or if you know growth sits closer to marketing or perhaps in marketing. Yeah. But it sounds like there, there's more folks that are starting to center around it being from sign up to conversion and, and all of those steps uh, in between. And what is growth marketing? That's a term that's popular these days.
2: I'm not really sure what growth marketing is. I feel like it's been used off and on over the years. I've always thought about growth marketing as just good marketing. What marketing isn't about growth? It's bad marketing, I guess. So when I think about growth marketing, I think about what really comes to mind is arbitrage. Like how do you find a unfair point of leverage in between the product and go-to-market you have and the audience you're trying to serve? And how do you take advantage of that? And not only how do you take advantage of it, but how do you scale that to significant heights to make that happen? And if somebody says growth marketing to me, that's what I think of it as. I think a lot of people think of it as conversion rate optimization, a bunch of things. I think of it really as just all marketing is growth marketing and it's kind of a moot term in my world. Got it.
1: So it's kind of a it could be a moot term or it could be a nebulous term. And you know, you, you can apply it where you want, but the important yeah. part is are you doing the functions? Does somebody handle top of funnel? Does somebody ha- handle the handoff then to sign up and in the initial parts of the customer journey to conversion? Makes sense. And what role does the product team play in this journey? Is there a linear progression or handoff then from growth to product?
2: For us, you know, growth sits on the product team, which is awesome, and we have an amazing, amazing growth product team. And so, the product team is responsible for so much: pricing and packaging, the feature set, the just onboarding experience, all of the things. You know, product and marketing are the two companies in a business where their whole focus is scale. Their whole focus is one to many, and. If you're doing product-led growth well, both those teams need to be working on the same track in that one-to-many world, right? And so I think if you're really doing it well, the marketing team is doing the, the things that they're best at. bringing in, acquiring new people, nurturing those people, educating those people, making sure that those people are, are getting sales engagement. And then you, the product team's doing the best thing that they can, which is make sure the people who sign up for the product actually start using it, actually get value have clear ways to kind of either self-serve or raise their hand to talk to a salesperson to take that next step once they've seen that value. And I think when you put those two things together, magic really starts to happen.
1: So there's kind of two big links to the chain. There's marketing and then there's product. Yes. Growth is kind of the connection in the middle, but really it's like growth exists to create an on-ramp to product and then product owns and does a lot of those things. So growth right. is not so much a separate function or a separate discipline that's newly been carved out that never existed before. It's just your product folks who think about the actions that are being taken in a customer journey and how to improve those in the direction that you want them to go. It's,
2: hey, I have a self-service buying experience and I need a product team that owns that experience. We're talking about experience being more important than ever in the buying and customer experience. You can't have a good product-led growth model if you don't have somebody who's owning that experience. And I think the growth team is normally the team that owns that experience, while the product team can then go and focus and obsess about, oh, these are the features we're building. This is how we make the product more valuable, easier to use, more reliable, the things that fundamentally matter.
1: So continuing on this journey, we we talked about marketing, sort of building the awareness, going through the funnel, getting to sign up. That's the domain of growth. Sign up kind of through onboarding to conversion. Obviously, that's a subset of product, then you're in the product, you're using the product, you're engaging in it, you're a DAU or an MAU or whatever the thing may be. And then, you know, you you probably sort of converted by swiping a credit card for a small amount of money to start. And then at some point, your account matures, you start paying more money, more users join, and humans get involved in the customer journey. Talk to me about that. Are, Are these salespeople that get involved? Are they success people? Is it more reactive, like support people waiting for you to reach out with a a problem that they can help with? When does a human get involved in this self-service
2: journey? So one thing I would push on is like, kind of depends on what your business model is, right? I think if you have a seats-based business model, then humans get involved a little bit earlier than if you maybe have like a limits-based business model where it's like, if you're a marketer, you're doing email and you just need to send some more emails, you don't really need to talk to a person, you just need to buy some more email limits. And the flip side is if you, are a sales team who has been piloting our sales software, but now you want to roll it out to the whole entire sales team. Yeah, you want to talk to a salesperson. You want to really understand how it's going to work and scale across 100 reps or 200 reps, or whatever you've got. And so from that perspective, what you think about is understanding what the different motions are. And I think if you have a product-led go-to-market motion, there are a couple of ways you interact. The first way you interact is, In app chat, you basically have people who are there, who I think come much more from like the customer service support side of things, who can kind of walk this fine dance between helping somebody who's maybe using your entry-level product, answer a quick question, but also identify that they have a lot more potential and tee up an opportunity that might get passed to a, a sales rep. And then... I think you also have to give people who have used the product and know what they want the, the more direct line to a sales rep and what we have seen there is what we call a product qualified leads where it's like oh well i've hit this limit or actually i want access to this dashboard but i want to make this a bigger decision let me request to talk to somebody or book a meeting with that person take that next action to do that immediately and i think those are kind of the key interactions i think for the chat interaction having somebody from more of a support cs background is more important and then I think you have to identify the core moments and touch points in the go-to-market experience that are much more sales-related, sales-driven. You know, It's not about somebody expanding what they're currently doing. It's about them doing this bigger, net new thing, and they really need some additional human help and guidance to pull that off.
1: Now, something you mentioned there that was interesting was that first person who may engage with an account on a human-to-human basis might do it through in-app chat. It might look like somebody who has more of a support or a CX kind of background. Mm-hmm. So how does that compare to the role of the SDR and what that role has been playing for the last decade or so? Is this the new SDR or do SDRs play a different role?
2: I think it depends on what your business model is, right? You can have a product like go to market and still do outbound and still need SDRs and have those aspects to your business. But I think what you would see and what I think we've seen and everybody that I've talked to has seen is that your chat reps are way more productive than your SDRs. So you are basically want to maximize the investment on those reps. Then think about starting funding SDR efforts versus the other way around. Everybody's got their growth goals. They may be capacity constrained and users coming in and they wanna do SDRs for big enterprise target account reach. That's great. What I think ultimately matters is that I think the folks who graduate from support then into chat rep and then become a sales rep or some of your best sales reps. They know your product well, they know your customer well, they're set up extremely well to be really successful, high high performing reps much sooner than I think others would be.
1: And what are those chat reps called? Is there a, you know, is it just called SDR or is there a new name for it? I don't think there's like a great
2: industry term for them like, we just call them user chat agents, like, oh, you're, they're chatting with our users, but they're really, they're kind of branded by the engagement channel and their expertise more than, than anything else. But you're, all, you're still measuring those folks on outcome in terms of the deals they're able to, to generate by passing, passing folks along.
1: So someone like a user chat rep, their day-to-day, and what they're doing, how they're engaging with the user or the customer is different than uh, the role or the nature of an SDR position. Absolutely but some of what they're looking for is in the SDR world you're looking to to book that demo that mm-hmm. hopefully becomes a you know an SQL or an SAL in this case you're thinking about something that's less about the demo and it's more about whatever that
2: next stage of the customer journey is that's what they're teeing up this is the whole nutshell of product led growth right it is just a way better experience for somebody to try something get value get a very helpful interaction that leads them to do more that increases their need to potentially invest more in the product and then go on a journey to talk to somebody. Then getting cold called a bunch of times, getting a bunch of cold emails and finally saying like, oh, okay, maybe I'm making an evaluation decision. I'll reply back to the CBL and start to understand what this company is. It just shows you how much better the product-led growth experience is. And do these user chat reps, do they sit in success? Do they sit in sales elsewhere? I think they can sit anywhere. For us, they sit in sales. I think... If you're running an effective go-to-market, you want everybody to have their incentives aligned. And so if their incentives are like setting meetings for salespeople, then having them work in sales, I think makes a ton of sense. And what is the role of success in this self-serve product-led journey? I think you want it to be as little as possible. You know, I think that one of the promises of product-led growth is that you need much less customer success because the product handles a lot of the, the usability and you know the more customer success you need, the more usability, challenge and complexity you have as a product. And so hopefully very little. For us, they come along when a person has become a customer of a more advanced product that really needs more detailed like setup, onboarding, regular like engagement to make sure that they're using the breadth of everything they have and they're using it correctly. But I think it largely depends on the type of product that you're you're taking to market.
1: Okay. So less involved because hopefully you have a self-service product that doesn't need configuration and implementation and setup um, and some of that sort of, I will do the onboarding, forge you work that some success organizations have done. Mm-hmm. But the other aspect of now that you have adopted, now that you have been set up, uh, I want you to continue to be successful. That still is a role that they play. And then there are some, if it's a, a larger or more complex, perhaps enterprise deployment or something like that, they can still play that onboarding traditional role. Um, but that's more the exception than it is the the rule. Correct. Got it. And what role does support play in this whole mix? Different than traditional supporters, support
2: kind of largely unaffected by this. If you have a big user base, support you don't want support costs going your way. You say support, I think community, right? You how do you have the your free user community support each other with effective answers to common questions? Basically, how do you have scalable knowledge base and community to support your product-led growth? I think putting hard support costs against a freemium business model is just a really tough proposition. What about for once customers convert? Does support play a role there? I think support and CS are very similar. That as customers pay more and start adopting more, they need more help. The help comes through in the lens of support and CS.
1: So if it's still individual users, that are free, perhaps converted, but you know, on an individual swipe credit card basis, so small dollars, then the goal there is to to offset that or to sort of defray that to community or to user-based support or to chatbots or to something, something that is effectively self-serve. Yes. And then after they've converted and converted to a larger sort of expansion that looks more like a contract and an invoice and multiple users and something that we would traditionally think of as being a B2B engagement with the software vendor, that's when more formal human-to-human support becomes available. But because you've done the first, because you've done all the work to automate it, you're actually getting fewer password
2: reset emails in the first place and fewer sort of low-level tickets because you've automated that. Correct. Yeah, like if you have a product led go-to-market that's not working, it's because everything's not product led. You know? Oh. My sales interactions are not led through chat or product qualified leads, or I'm still using manual support and CS for these free and low end users. And so my unit economics are horrible or my marketing is not integrated. So I've got this great freemium go-to-market, but nobody's using it. If you're going to do product-led growth and you're going to do product-led go-to-market, it's got to be sales, marketing, CS, and product aligned on the strategy, executing the same strategy.
1: Now, zooming out from all of that, one question that I get a lot is, who owns the number? In the old world, it was always sales. The CRO or the VP of sales owned the number and drove the new bookings for the business. But today, is that still the case or is it shift across the org chart to other areas?
2: Depends on the business model. I think if you're 100% product-led growth and there's no salespeople, great. You don't have a sales org and your product team owns the number. And you probably have the GM or GMs in your product org that own that. If you have sales reps that contribute a material amount of revenue, then the number probably goes to sales and is owned by sales, but with a very clear subset of goals to the product and marketing organization, which the latter, I think, is the reality for most businesses.
1: I know that it depends kind of case by case, but does that end up being that the majority of the, the number and its ownership shifts away from sales and it's kind of like a third in marketing, a third in growth or product, and a third in sales? or Does it still stay largely concentrated in the sales team?
2: No, I think the sales team owns the number, but there are inputs to that number that everybody owns, right? So marketing team owns getting user signups, getting uh, people to raise their hand through automation, the sales, the product team owns e-commerce revenue and in-chat revenue, like whatever that may be, whatever you decide, they all roll up to the overall revenue number. And it's kind of owned jointly across those three teams. So it's whoever owns that specific conversion owns
1: that number which which stands to reason. Yeah. So if the if the conversion is happening on a self-service basis in product through you know more of an e-commerce like transaction as you mentioned then it's natural for product or within product for growth to own that number. Yeah. But if you are picking up from there from that sort of part of the buyer's journey and you're talking about how do we convert this $1,000 account into a $50,000 account that's not going to happen on a credit card that's going to happen through a sales conversation so that Incremental forty nine thousand dollars in a hypothetical example that comes from sales. Correct. Got it. What do you think comes next? What does the next five to ten years of software look like as this trend continues?
2: I think we'll actually just start to do this well. I think we're still in the very early days. I don't think. I think the vast majority of companies have not even started to go down this path. I think we still all still have a ton to learn, and I think the next five years at least is going to be about really seeing how far you can go with automation and scalability and how much you can really remove humans from the process. I think we're going to see some incredible advancements there. I think beyond that, it's, it's kind of anybody's guess.
1: Now, my last question for you is for companies who say we'll take a company that's 10 years old, 15 years old, you know, has a business going, has some customers, has never had a self-service product, has never been product-led as we sort of think about it today but wants to become that and sort of make that transition and evolve in that direction. What's the biggest piece of advice or gotcha that they should be mindful of in that transition?
2: The gotcha there is that the antibodies are going to reject, right? Like everybody in your organization is used to doing it a different way. You're telling them, no, we're going to do it very differently. I think you have to kind of carve it out, put dedicated people on it until it's big enough that the antibodies can't reject it and can't force it out. And it becomes your business, and then you kind of merge everything back together.
1: So separate
2: it out, almost create a you know a
1: separate. Not even like you are a small team doing this, but start up with a startup kind of idea. Yeah, What exactly. their mission is to you know <laughs> reinvent what we do, uh, or in some ways maybe even you know. Uh, put us out of business uh, for the way that we used to do it right and and reinvent the company correct awesome well this is super helpful kip Uh, it helps us definitely understand this new buyer's journey starts with the user and eventually turns into this uh, larger conversion and i think there's a lot of questions flowing around here and you've certainly given me a lot of clarity in it so appreciate you taking the time and this has been a great conversation
2: awesome thanks for having me appreciate it
0: thanks for listening to this episode of the build podcast If you liked what you've heard, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and make sure to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. Follow me, Blake Bartlett, on LinkedIn for daily product-led growth content and to let me know what you think about the show. Join me this season on Build as we figure out the new customer journey and what comes next in product-led growth. One thing is for sure, all of us in the product-led community are in this together. Take care, everyone, and I'll see you next time here on Build.